So I, I called the shot and I sat up and I had buck fever so bad that I missed him clean on the first shot. And then on the second shot, I dropped him and I just like couldn't, couldn't believe it actually happened. I was just like waiting for him to get up and fly away. Hello and welcome to the DSD Hunting Podcast. I'm your host, Brad Cochran, and I'm here with my co-host, Dave Smith. We got Scott Sprecker behind the scenes here. Um, the topic today is band hunting. This is episode two, if I'm not mistaken. And uh, I have a feeling it's probably going to go into an episode three, maybe even beyond that. There's a lot to cover. Um, but it feels like maybe a good time for us to give kind of an abstract, uh, of, of band hunting in general and how, how it's done, um, how we like to do it anyways. Dave, you care to take a stab at that? Um, just a brief rundown, you know, location and high decoys calling. Well, I, I would say, I mean, the overview uh, would be first you have to hunt in a place where there's bands and then you have to find bands within that general area. And so you have to make sure you set up on, on birds that where there's a band in there. And then you have to have the patience to try to shoot that one bird, uh, out of a bunch of birds. And so that's, you know, that's where it gets quite a bit different from just a good old fun goose hunt with, you know, bring your buddies, bring the dog and shoot the first birds that come in. And that's super fun, uh, too. But, you know, like we've talked about before the band hunting, it's, it's fun in its own way. It's, it has, it's, it's just has, has this allure to it. That's kind of hard to explain if somebody hasn't done it, but you know, I think anyone that's, you know, just fished a lot or tried to catch a, you know, a trophy fish or hunted a lot, tried to, you know, try to get a, you know, a really big buck or a really big bull or, or whatever it is. Like, I think anyone, it's just, it's kind of, I think it's in our nature. You just, just naturally, um, progress to, you know, trying to, uh, you know, add more challenges to yourself and everything's fun and it doesn't have to, it doesn't have to be that way. Um, but it, it, if the opportunity is there, it, it just has an element of fun. And, uh, but anyways, that's, that's kind of the overview, I think, of basically what it is. I mean, what, what would you add to that? I mean, um, obviously we need to go into much more detail than that. Well, let's start with, with location. And, you know, one of the things that's worth mentioning is, um, obviously there are, um, there are certain places that have, you know, more bands than others. And, and so... Obviously, if you're not in an area that that has bands, then you're kind of spinning your wheels if you're trying to go after them. Um, it, you know, it, it's probably worth noting that uh, just having a bunch of bands, for example, on your lander doesn't necessarily make someone, you know, a great band hunter or or a great hunter in general. Yeah. Um, because there are certainly areas where density densities of of banded birds occur. Um, you know, where they're really high. And a guy can end up with a pile of bands almost purely because of the location he hunts. Absolutely. Um, at the same time, a guy can be a phenomenal hunter and either not care to go after bands or he simply hunts an area that just doesn't have bands. So so just because someone doesn't have bands doesn't make them a bad hunter at the same time. Of course. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, you know, some some hunters just flat out aren't fortunate enough to live in a good band area and or don't have the resources or the desire to go hunt somewhere that, that does have bands. Right. And then, you know, and everything's relative too. like if, you know, if you're trying to get a giant brook trout, you can either, you know, if you go up into, in the Cascades of Oregon where they're just, you know, they're, the average size is eight inches cause they're extended and all that stuff. And if you catch a 12 inch that's a trophy, but meanwhile, if you go to Labrador and you catch a three pounder, uh, you wouldn't think twice about it. So, you know, if you're in an area where there's almost no bands and you find one and you you know find a way to get it killed and stuff like that, that, that could be a much bigger trophy than if you're in an area where they're just absolutely everywhere and you can just shoot random birds and you're, you're going to get bands. Right. I, I totally agree with you. It's all, 
it's all relative. I've I've had opportunities. It seems like, you know, there were banding projects in in our locale here have come and gone over the years. So some years bands are more plentiful than others, and it it seems to me like a, a lot of my memorable bands that I've killed over the years were birds that maybe I went after you know a single bird and it took me multiple hunts to finally get that bird. Um, and I, you know, I got one, whereas, you know, maybe, maybe that's even more memorable to me than say a hunt where I was, um, you know, I was going after, um, some birds during a a time when bands were more plentiful and I got multiple bands. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's kind of, it's kind of all, all relative. I think, what, what do you, what do you think? Is that, is that what you're getting at too? Absolutely. Um, and you know, I remember in my own um, situation, I was, I, I remember one time I was kind of whining to Fred Zink about like, oh, I wish, you know, wish we had more bands in our area because that, that was a time when he had <laughs> absolutely a ton of them in his, in his area. And he, he kind of, kind of told me, quit whining and go find them. And, and then Bill Saunders at the time had kind of, kind of said the same thing. And then he also clued, you know, clued me in that there, that there was a banding project that was, you know, only two hours from, from my house or a little, little over two hours. But, you know, that's, that's kind of the other element of it is that if you, you know, if you don't, if you don't, if you're in an area where there isn't any bands, you're not going to get them. And, um, if you, if you really want, if you really want them, uh, you might have to do some homework and, and find them. And I'm sure, that you know, there's wildlife managers right now. If they if they're hearing this, they're just you know, <laughs> this is just the scourge, not what they want to hear. Um, but you know, I'm just being real, telling it the way it is. And like we talked about last time, the band hunting is like super fun, and it is really a really unique trophy, and um, it's legal. And so, what can I say? <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, if you, if you, if if you don't have any around and you want to find them, um, you know, you might have to, you might have to travel, but, um, you know, what would you do for a big giant trophy whitetail or, you know, or anything like that? You know, you, you, you can't expect to, you know, kill, kill one in your backyard. Um, you know, some places you probably could, but it doesn't happen very often. Yeah. Bands are also unique, um, to me in the sense that they tell a story, you know, you can learn a lot from bands and not just by shooting bands, but by observing bands, you know, we had a study here, um, in, in the Valley from 2011 through 2013, there was a study done, um, on the, on the cacklers and they marked, um, I don't remember how many birds exactly were marked with the yellow neck collars, but during that three year study, um, I personally, I personally recorded, uh, almost 600 unique sightings of different callers. Some of them were repeat sightings, but, um, you know, I can't tell you like how much I learned from that study. Mm -hmm. Just, just looking at birds and where they were at certain times and looking at individual birds and, and where they were, I can remember one bird kind of stands out in my mind. I saw him one day, uh, one evening and the very next morning I saw him, in in a small bunch of birds and it was over hmm. 60 miles away you know and wow only i don't know 12 hours later so yeah at some point it, in time he got up and flew 60 miles and i just happened to see him it just i don't know it kind of makes your mind spin a little bit so um was that the same day that you saw him no I, I saw him i saw him um one evening to the north and then the next morning the very next morning i mean like right after sunrise yeah so i i'm fairly confident that that bird rather than going back to to water that night he he must have just headed south you know right right from the field yeah and and found water um you know down down at the south end of the valley somewhere and yeah i, flew I out think with some local birds because he was with a bunch of honkers there was just a it was a cackler uh-huh and um there was a handful of cacklers and, and a few honkers. Hmm. Yeah, I know that's it's, it's kind of interesting to figure out, you know, what happens what happens at night too. Like, do they mix up with different flocks? And then when they you know when they're back on the roost, when they join up with a different flock that they haven't 
been flying with and then they go to a completely new field and like cacklers especially they seem like oh i don't care i'll just go wherever you know wherever it's wherever these guys are going and so that does kind of disperse them quite a bit seems like the larger the goose is the less of that there is but cacklers are pretty notorious for that yeah but when we're talking about um goose hunting basics you know it seems like the you know the big four are location hide decoys and calling so we've kind of covered the whole location thing you know i mean you mm-hmm. got to be where the bands are if you're not you either need to go where they're at or you know you're you're really not improving your odds um so let's talk about the next component and for me personally i think that this is probably the next most important would be the hide absolutely know, how do you how do you feel about that yeah i mean i i've said several times that the hide is 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 as important or more important than the quality of the decoys or the decoy spread. I mean, the hiding, hiding is everything to me. Um, it's super, super, super important. And I mean, I take it super seriously, just like you do. Um, and because, you know, you have to, you got to work birds in close and you have to work all the birds in to look them all over as they're circling or landing. So, you know, for that to happen, you have to be just completely gone. Any, um, any pointers, anything kind of that you do differently when it comes to hiding your blind, is there anything you do differently when you're, when you're band hunting versus if you're just fun hunting? Well, yeah, first of all, I mean, to me, to me, it, it makes a big difference that you're not hunting in a big group. Like the, the fewer blinds that you have to hide, the better. And so if there's, you know, one or two people is much easier to hide than eight or 10 people. And then, you know, I, I, you know, just like you do, you know, you and I have done this together several times. And I think you and the Pfeiffer brothers are really the one who kind of got this started. We've kind of done it off and on throughout the years, but that's getting, getting the blinds as absolutely as low as possible. Um, even, even on an edge. Um, you know, I know with some blinds you can kind of, um, disassemble the, the front, um, leg gap, um, and drop drop that down so that the front is as low as, as your legs will be. So that's um, at that point the only thing raised up is your is your head, and I think that I think that helps quite a bit. And I know you know we've we've done a little bit of playing around with ghillie suits, um, and they are awesome, but they are just so uncomfortable. It's just like it's just right. so I get dizzy if I'm if I lay that flat for that long. So. Yeah. I just stuck with the I just stuck with the lay down blind. Yeah, you're better concealed if you can you can stay in a layout blind too, in my opinion. But um, I agree with you. Your your profile eliminating your profile by whatever means necessary. I I personally feel is the most important component to an effective hide, and that's and it's just it's so critical when you're when when I'm band hunting. I feel like is to, is to, um, is to just absolutely disappear and not, you know, not let the birds know that you're even there at all. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm, I've, I've done a lot of like, um, covering my blind ahead of time with, with raffia grass, like, you know, whoop grass and, um, zip tying it to every single stubble strap. And so that, that saves you a lot of time. You can add natural stuff to that, but, um, it's like, you're more likely to take the time to add some natural grass to it. If you have a a really good base. Um, and that's, that's been a big one for me and that's helped me a lot. And there's been some places that I've hunted where I didn't have to add any natural grass cause it just fit in really good. And then the other thing I've done a lot of is I bring a shovel on every single hunt and I know you do too, like, like, like a flat shovel, like mm-hmm. a spade, spade shovel. And there's, there's so many things that you can do with, you can do with a shovel that helps your blind. I mean, for, for one, you know, leveling it out and making your, making yourself comfortable that's a pretty big deal because you, you might be out there all day long and then cutting out sod, like, especially in the front of your blind, um, <clears throat> cutting out a section of sod and don't, co- don't completely remove it, but just fold it forward and then set the front of your blind in and then fold it back over your blind. Yep. And you can do that up on the sides. Um, that's and- amazing. The first time I saw you, I learned that from you. The first time I saw you did that, I, my mind was blown because the way that, 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 makes your blind blend into the ground is absolutely incredible. Mm-hmm. It's the, a, the transition is eliminated right. there. There's yep. no hard edges anymore. It just goes from ground 
you know, like seamlessly into the blind. Mm-hmm. I, and it keeps you, it keeps you warmer. <laughs> I, I mean, there's something I, I've had it up so high, stuff like that, where I sort of insulated my blind and that that's kind of nice too. But, um, that and, uh, what else have we done to um, really hide the blinds? Digging, uh, you, you know, with that with a spade shovel, you can you can dig up like a you know clumps of grass, you know, a lot of bunch grasses that grow in, in clumps. Mm-hmm. You can you can take them out at the um, at the the base. You can you can actually remove the entire clump and move it. Stand, it'll stand up straight, and and place them you know, around the edges of your blind and, and even taper out and create like yeah. an eyebrow yep, away from your, your blind to make it look like not just, um, a, a single spot where brush is growing, but, but like a, a mini Island of brush yeah. or, or a transition, if you will. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if you, if you just keep brushing and brushing and brushing and brushing your single blind, it's just going to get bigger and bigger and bigger and cast a larger shadow. But if you brush it just enough um, to where it's gone, but it's still somewhat sparse. And then, and then, like you say, uh, make it look like there's a few more clumps and they're tapering out. Um, that looks really, really good. Works really good. Yep. Another thing I've done with the shovel, um, it depends on how flat the spot is, but even, even, um, coring out a little, a little area where your main your body is or where your butt is in your lower back. And that, that kind of lowers you a little bit in your blind. And then it, it, it just, it lowers your overall profile. It's just, it's kind of weird the way that works, but it just um, makes it so that your, you know, your your head and everything is less likely to be sticking up above and the whole blind just looks, looks lower. Well, absolutely, because, you know, when you're in a layout blind, you're, you're, you're laying on fabric. And, and so um, if you can lower, if you can lower your body, you know, your, your shoulders are going to be making contact with the blind lids in a lot of cases. And so you're actually going to be increasing the pro the profile of your, of your blind, you know, near, near the headrest mm-hmm. in, in a lot of cases. And so if you can lower your, your butt, um, you can drop down lower in, inside your blind. And, um, it's amazing what even just a couple inches will do, um, when it comes to, you know, hiding your blind. How do you like... Um, how do you like your head position when you're like, you know, some people like to really be way down inside that blind so they can look up and watch birds that are circling overhead, but then you can't see very, very well out front. So what, you know, what, what's your method on that as far as compromising there? So I try to grasp, um, my, my lids as low as possible so that I can see over the top of them. It's really, really hard for me to see birds in the decoys if I just have a whole bunch of brush. You know, like, so, so with the top rail on my lids, I actually, one of the things I like to do is, um, is I like to like fold over a a clump of grass, you know, like a hank of grass and, and push it in through the, 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 the folded end, if that makes sense, Mm -hmm. you know, not the, not the brushy, right. Not the brushy, the, 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 the brushy, um, poofy end of the, of the clump would be, um, facing down toward the ground. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, and that just keeps the, the grass nice and level in front of me and, and laid down so they can see over the top of it. And, um, that, that, uh, increases my visibility a great deal. You know, I mean, if, if you don't, you know, and you have, it's amazing what even just a, a few blades of grass obstructing your, your view will do to, mm-hmm. will do to impede your, your vision. Even if you're using binoculars, it's, it's, it's super hard to see through. Mm-hmm. Yeah, me personally, I've never been too much of a, you know, land them and get out the binoculars guys, but I've hunted with several people that are, and I've, you know, seen a lot of the benefits of that, even though I haven't done it too much myself. And so that, that's kind of a decision you have to make too. And you have to, um, because that would depend on the angle that you set your blind. Like what I ended up doing a lot of is I really put my blind at a hard right angle to where. Uh, you know, my decoys are. And a lot of guys that I hunted with that really like to land birds and get out binoculars, they really like to have their blinds pretty much facing directly towards them. But my problem with that is I've had birds on my right-hand side that I, I really have a hard time with that shot, the hard right 
hard right and hand you're, shot. you're a right hand shooter so, yeah i'm yeah. a right hand shooter i've i'm just not very flexible and uh, i don't know if my my neck you know is too stiff or something like that but i've i've had times when i kind of realize that my blind like there'll be a slight shift in the wind and i realize that my blind is faced a little bit too too far forward uh, mm-hmm. straight ahead and i made a last minute adjustment and then i was like oh my god i was so glad i did because it could make the big the difference it made all the difference in a couple of cases uh-huh um but yeah what do you what do you think about that i mean what's your what's your your position of choice with your blind yeah i'm more of a head-on guy but um i'm i'm not real big on on land them and get the binoculars out and look at them after they've landed either. Um, mm-hmm. I, I'm not going to say that I haven't landed birds and flushed them up and shot them because mm-hmm. I have, um, I would say 90% of them I've spotted in the air and shot them before they land. Mm-hmm. Um, and I definitely prefer to do that way. I would do that way. I would do it that way every time if it were up to me. Yeah. Sometimes, absolutely. you know, there's just too many birds coming in and, you know, one slips in or the lighting's bad or whatever, and they land before you can, you can spot them. Um, or there's birds in the other birds in the way and you just have to land them first. But, um, I, I like to stay really low in my blind. And so, um, you know, I, I still, you know, getting back to my comment about how I grasp my, uh, my top rail and my lids, I do it the way I, I do it because I like to stay as low in my blind as possible. I think once you start creeping your head up, um, you know, your your head is extremely visible to birds that are circling you. And uh, I just, I don't know, I've, I've had better luck staying low, as low as possible in my blind. Yeah. But I'm definitely yeah. looking up to the sky and, and trying to, you know, trying to spot them in the air first. I, you have a much, much greater a higher percentage of, of being able to get a clear, clean shot at a bird if you can spot them in the air yeah. um, versus trying to land them. Well, and, and that's the other thing is, is like, yeah, it's fun to get a band and have a band or whatever like that, but really what this is about is a super fun, it's just like a big live video game. Like, it's, Yeah, and it's, that's it's, a good analogy. Yeah, it's 20 times funner to, to spot one in the air and sit up and shoot it than it is to you know shoot one that's landed. I mean, of course, both are... You know, both are fun, but to me, it's just like, well, I'd, anytime I could possibly try to not rob myself of that super fun, Yep. Uh, there's just nothing, nothing like, you know, bird circling and you're just, you've, you're just that anticipation and you're watching these and you're, you know, watching groups at a time and you're just hoping so much. And then all of a sudden you see one and like, that's just, that's one of the funnest things I've ever done in, done in my life. Um, I completely, like I completely agree with you. And you know, call me, call me a decoy snob. You decoy snob. <laughs> bringing, bringing them in on their own terms, and and shooting them that way is is just so much more rewarding to me personally. You mean compared to like 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 sneaking a field yeah, or pass shooting, up, sneaking up to them or yeah, sculling, pass shooting them or sculling or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's just. Uh, I think it's the ultimate way, you know, the ultimate challenge. And like you were saying, you, you alluded to this before, you know, we all, we all, as we progress as hunters, you know, we want to, we, we want the next great challenge. And, and I think that's where we're both at with, with bands. We've been doing it for a while now. Um, but it sure hasn't gotten old to me. Um, I don't know if it's gotten old to you or not, hopefully not, but, uh, not at all. I still get just as excited when I shoot one, you know, now as I did, you know, 20, 25 years ago. And, um, you know, I hope that never changes. Yeah. I, I remember one year I, I, I rattled in a big old blacktail buck and, and shot him. And, and I was like, wow, that was just such a neat feeling. And then I was like thinking, oh, I, I can't wait for to go goose hunting. Like, because you get that, you could get that same feeling several several times throughout the season if if you're willing to do the work, and so that's kind of a neat neat thing that we have that opportunity. Do you remember your first band? Oh my God, are you kidding? Well, let's I, hear absolutely. it. Absolutely. So I I remember my first leg band and I remember my first collar and um, my first leg band was uh, uh, Anchorage Lesser. And was this before the collar? Yeah, it was before the collar. Okay. Yep. All right, set us up. Let's hear it. I'm dying. <laughs> well. I was hunting, hunting near Gaston with a pretty good sized group. And it was just, you know, it was back in the days when you could, you know, find, you know, 1200 geese in a field and get permission and 
come back five days later and the geese have fed in there every single day with just a like ridiculous hide and all that stuff. So that's, you know, getting harder and harder for that to happen because there's so much pressure on them and everything. But that's how it was then. And, uh, I was hunting in a big group and I wasn't trying to shoot a band or, or collar or anything like that. And, um, I just remember I was sort of kind of ramrodding the whole thing, I guess, cause I, it was my, you know, it was my field that I had found and I was, you know, kind of the only one that really blown a call at the time and all that stuff. And, um, I remember it uh, just on one go, um, there was just kind of birds coming in from all different angles all at the same time. And everybody was shooting and stuff. And I can't remember if I shot one first or whatever, but I, I saw this large lone Anchorage lesser and he was kind of at a really weird angle and kind of off, off to the side. And those are always good birds to pick out when you're in a, when you're in a group, because, you know, no one else is really going to focus on that. They're just going to shoot the birds that are just hanging there and stuff. So I shot him and I, I went over and, you know, picked him up and saw that he was banded and I was, I was pretty happy about it. Um, that was, you know, that was pretty awesome and everything, but I would say that, that, that pales in comparison to my first collar because the collar is completely different because now, you know, you know, that it was collared and that one was, um, a big, that was while I was guiding and a big group of a uh, big group of cacklers. Well, actually, this was in the general zone where you could only shoot, I think, one cackler right. per person. Yep. And so, um, you know, we'd get these big mobs of cacklers. I mean, you remember that. It was, it was fun, but it was frustrating. But really, the clients were pretty good about it. They they actually enjoyed, you know, we'd get big, big mobs of cacklers going. And then we we're like, well, this is kind of fun. Maybe uh, we could just all watch for a collar. I mean, if you can only shoot one, we, and, you know, we might as well just do that. And I remember this big bunch was just circling and circling and circling. And um, more, more were kind of tornadoing, tornadoing down. And uh, as, they, as, they went, as they went past me, at about 50 yards, I saw a collar in there. It was really, really light colored. It was a really, really old collar. And what I had to do is just keep my eye on that single bird and just not lose him. Because if I would have lost lost him, I would have never got him. And he on his next circle around, he wasn't any closer. And then his next circle around, he was got to, to be like 40 yards. And then his next circle around, this time he really got got closer. And now he's like going to come around at like 25 yards. And just like a miracle from God, like right at that time when it came time to shoot him, there was a flock of like eight lessers that just came in from the left and just were just you know, finishing perfectly. So I, I called the shot and I sat up and I had buck fever so bad that I missed him clean on the first shot. And then on the second shot, I dropped him and I just like couldn't, couldn't believe it actually happened. I was just like waiting for him to get up and fly away. Just went over there and just got my hands on him. It's just, just like, it was just surreal because, you know, we've seen him out in the field, but it just hadn't, you know, hadn't got my hands on one and actually held it, held it in my hands. And, oh boy, that was, I was just ruined. I mean, that was just like, it was just such an amazing rush. It was just awesome. So, and, you know, I guess the rest is history. Like here we are all these years later and, you know, still making decoys and still having fun. And, and, but, you know, I, I got my 100th neck collar last, last season. And, you know, that was just about, just about as amazing of a, of a feeling. So it's kind of neat that, you know, you can go, go forward and, and it's still super, super, super fun. Yeah. So, but anyways, that enough about me. I want to hear about your, your first band and your first collar. Uh, my first band and my first collar. Okay. So my first leg band, um, I was 14 years old and my dad and I had just gotten done with just a just an amazing um, duck hunt. It was uh-huh. just an amazing hunt, you know, just feet down, green heads, picking out only the nicest drakes. Um, nice. This is like probably, probably mid-November back in, I don't know, 92, 93. And um, so we got, our, we got our green heads and we got out of there. And um, back at the check station, ran into some friends and they told us about, um, about a goose hunt that they had just been on on one of the regulated hunt areas, not too far from the, from the refuge there, um, which was private land open to the public basically. And so, um, it was, it was, 
it's really funny because they they showed up just in time to, to pick up our, our our blind you know we were turning our our chip in for our blind and they they grabbed it so they went out and and they had a good duck hunt and then they they told us kind of in exchange for that they they told us you know where they just hammered a, a, a limit of geese mm-hmm. and so um my dad took me out to this this corn circle and you know i'm 14 years old and i've got a tim grounds variable tone honker flute and my friend kyle green was kind enough to loan me um his two dozen real geese silhouettes and uh i don't think i even owned a goose decoy at that at that time and we had just moved up from california so this was all like really really new to me um but uh i i knew that i, I was just absolutely in love with with waterfowl hunting you know i'd killed ducks but um geese was something that you know i just hadn't hadn't dabbled in there just weren't weren't opportunities down in california to do it in rice country where i grew up hunting so um my dad drops me off at this corn circle and i put these two dozen real geese silhouettes out and uh you know pretty pretty soon here come the geese and the first flock of honkers comes in just on the deck and <laughs> and you know whether it was my calling pro- probably not my calling you know but <laughs> but these birds came right in and i remember the the very the, the bird in the very the very front of the v you know there was i don't know 10 10 15 birds or so but the very the very front bird um he he just looks so gigantic and once he got within range you know it felt like it was 10 yards it was probably 30 yards you know looking back mm-hmm. but i thought my god those things are so close you know and i pulled up and i i shot the the lead bird and i don't even remember if i shot again after that but um before i could go pick him up you know they just they just kept coming they kept coming and pretty soon i had my limit of four geese well he was the last of the four birds to pick up and the whole time i'm running around picking geese up you know out of each flock i'm shooting into i'm thinking to myself man there's just something cool about that goose i didn't know what it was i just had a feeling and sure enough i went out and i picked it up and it was it was banded oh man so it was my first goose that i ever shot on on my own you know over decoys mm-hmm. and um yeah, I, I had two dozen real geese silhouettes, and it was in a flailed cornfield in the Columbia Basin um, outside of Boardman, and I was 14 years old, and um, yeah, that was that was a really, really cool experience, and uh, you know, I, I wish I could have had my dad there to share it with me, but yeah. you know, he, he we had just had a great hunt together that morning, and he wanted to watch the beaver game back at the hotel room, so, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and I, you know, as soon as those guys said, honkers you know i i was like screw the game i am gonna watch or i'm gonna i'm gonna hunt you know yeah. I, I could care less about football so um I bet you were kind of glad that you did yeah i i sure was and and it was really cool the the bird ended up being banded up in pasco you know maybe um i don't know 40 miles or so up the river from where mm-hmm. i was hunting but uh yeah that was really really cool and then um as far as uh boy as far as my first caller goes it would have been a couple years later i believe um, my, my same friend who had loaned me the silhouette decoys, Kyle, um, was involved in, and he was working for Oregon department of fish and wildlife, uh, at the time. And, and they were doing banding, doing a banding project on some of our local birds. And, um, he told me, uh, about one of the, um, one of the, uh, banning banning projects that he had been a part of and and it sounded like a lot of fun I was I was really actually kind of disappointed that I didn't get to take part in it but um in in any case when the season got closer uh, I went down and I started scouting the area just just for a place to hunt you know I didn't really necessarily have bands on my mind I just wanted to start goose hunting I had just gotten my driver's license and and um found a bunch of birds and and you know there were neck collars and and leg bands and so um i lined up some properties to hunt and opening morning went out and you know i hadn't uh really set my mind on holding out for a band you know i was really kind of hopeful that one would come in but um i think we had uh had a couple flocks come in maybe before legal shooting time because back then it you couldn't shoot until sunrise for whatever reason and um so we had a few live birds in our in our silhouettes by the time uh this pair of neck collars showed up and so kyle shot one and i shot one it was mm. our it was our first collars ever and so could you see that they were collared yeah they were coming in yeah they came in real low and um i think we actually 
I think we actually landed those for for some reason, and um, we flushed them up. We didn't we didn't ground pound them, but uh, it was it was a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. Right on. Yeah. Yeah, I remember my first whiskey collar, um, <clears throat> hunting in the September season out on a tide flat with Gary Miller, and you know, it just I wasn't very good at spotting colors colors in the air. And, you know, here, here's this like extra large white collar on this, you know, extra small black, black goose. <laughs> and, um, I, I'll just say that, you know, the sun was in my eyes a little bit. I don't know what, but anyways, <laughs> this flock comes in and lands and we didn't see any collars and stuff. And all of a sudden I look up and the closest bird to me, that's like 25 yards away is, is like, a radio transmitter collar and I'm just like oh my god I cannot even believe it and I'm you know sat up and they they took off and I I shot it I was pretty happy about that and then a while later I was like well man we just got to get one for Gary now like that I'm was sorry I don't mean to interrupt you here but is that the one that caught fire no 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 that's that was enough okay. <laughs> that was not a solo that was <laughs> pretty epic too but um but a, a few hours later, I remember a few more flocks came in and we didn't shoot. And I just, I wanted Gary to get one so bad. And uh, finally this other flock comes in and we can see there's a collar in there. And we're just like shaking and quaking and everything. Gary's like super excited and stuff like that. And he comes in uh, and Gary makes a perfect shot. It's on the far left side. And then as he's shooting, the birds are kind of flushing off in every different direction. And I look up and I see there's another collar. And it's flying across, and it's going to go right, right in front of the sun, where I absolutely can't see it. And I shot it, shot at it, right before it got to the sun. And then I was super excited and couldn't wait for it to come on the other side of the sun, where I could see, where I could do a follow-up shot. And I remember just watching on the other side of the sun, and he's just tumbling out of the sky and dead. So we got a double right then. And we actually got three callers that day. That, and that was one of the first. That was one of the first caller experiences of my of my life. Oh, you know, sweet. One of the first. It was pretty spectacular. Um, back to tactics. So I was, one of the things I was thinking about is, um, I know, I, I know you guys are, um, use a lot of face paint and, um, and I think, you know, I think that that's something that's, that's pretty important. And then, um, one of the things I was going to say is, you know, I've seen a lot of people use a lot of camo on their faces or they use do face paint where they do a, a specific pattern or stripes or something like that. And I've kind of found that, um, it, it's kind of, um, if you move, if you have that kind of pattern on your face, you know, and a lot of contrasts, then when you move your face around, if you're trying to, to watch, that's more noticeable. Like that, you know, you could actually, you'd almost be better off, better off to wear like a brown, um, a brown face mask than a camo face mask or, or solid black or solid brown on your face rather than stripes. You know, like I see a lot of hunters, they go to a lot of effort to make these really elaborate patterns on their face and and different things mean mean things but i honestly think you're way better off just to have a solid color that way as you're moving um and same with your hat uh a solid hat is better than a camo hat uh, what do you think about that no that's interesting um to be honest with you i've never really thought about it that deep um but uh, it makes a lot of sense um when it comes to hiding, for me, I think that the two most important components to a great hide are eliminating your profile and taking the bird's eyes away from your blinds. So there's there's two ways that we usually accomplish that. I mean, one is to try to find, in order to eliminate your profile, one of the easiest ways to do that is to put your blinds in cover that's at least as high as, as your blinds are preferably a little bit higher, even, um, just to take away that, you know, the shadow that you're going to cast, uh, mostly. And then the other thing is to get out of your decoys, you know, because if you think about it, you know, your decoys are there to attract the bird's attention. And you, and you, the last thing you want them doing is looking at your blind. So mm-hmm. putting your blinds in your decoys is a little bit of a contradiction. Mm-hmm. You know, sometimes, sometimes it's necessary. Um, you know, there's, there's certain, there's certain situations where you're in a really low cut field and there's just no way to cover your blinds up with anything, but, but decoys, you know, get them as low as you possibly can. Maybe get your, 
maybe get your decoys up off the ground a little higher to use some longer stakes or, or what have you. And, and just try, try your very best to, um, kind of blend your blinds into your decoy spread. Mm-hmm. But that's kind of a last, that's kind of a last ditch tactic. I would far, far rather get my decoys out of, or get my blinds out of the decoys, in which case, you know, it often means we're on a, on an edge, um, or, or an Island, you know, maybe an Island of brush out in the middle of the field. Um, but, but get them out of the decoys so that the birds are focused on the decoys and not looking at the blinds and, and get that, get that profile, um, you know, diminished. And then you have to keep that in mind with your calling too, because you don't want to be calling like crazy while birds are super, super close because they're going to be looking right at you, right at your blinds. Um, yeah, those are, those are good ones. And I mean, I've had situations too, where the in a super super low low field you know you're weighing the idea of like well maybe i can put some like honker decoys around my blind and then some some you know lesser and cackler decoys a little further out away and stuff like that but um kind of what i've done more often is just try to create a fake edge you know like put a uh, you know a couple posts in the ground or um you know and like we were talking about earlier that sort of eyebrow effect with cover like you yep. can kind of make it look like you know, there's a there's a fence row there. Even if you can even if you can wasn't. create a hide. Yep. Like you could literally create a hide anywhere. It just it's going to take more effort on your part. Yeah. But I mean, look at A-frame blinds. You know, guys are getting away with putting A-frame blinds in the middle of big, wide open fields that you know the birds were in the day before. Presumably, the same birds, mostly that that you know that they're shooting the next morning. And, and, and they're able to get away with it. I mean, birds, they're not rocket scientists, you know, I mean, they're not, they, you know, there's a lot of activity typically that's going on, um, in these farms where we hunt them, you know, there's, there's tractors and fields, you know, one day and and there's, there's activity going Mm -hmm. on. So they don't know what's there and what's not. I think the longer, um, birds have used a particular, field or property the more familiar they're they're going to get with it and and um the harder it's going to be for you i guess to create a hide but um it it just seems like there's always something you can do you know if there's if there if nothing else if you'll just take the brush in there and some fence posts like you said um, you can make it look like something that could have you know been there yeah, yeah, and then the most important thing is that the geese are convinced that those are geese on the ground. So as long yep. as you have really good decoys and and good calling, and do the the timing of your calling right, and you know, don't do don't do stylized sounds. You know, just keep it ultra realistic and ultra simple. And then you know, the other thing is, is if you have a if you have one or two fields that you know you're going to be hunting um, a lot, um, you know, you can go put the you know put the little fake fence row out. Uh, way ahead of yep. time and just let, let birds get used to it. That yep. works pretty good too. Absolutely. So what about um, the direction of the sun, the direction of the wind, um, direction of the roost and all that stuff? What's your, what's your favorites? Um, lighting's everything. If you're band hunting, if you can't see them, then you can't shoot them. Yep. Um, you, you absolutely have got to play the lighting in your favor first. Even on a cloudy day, I would say. Even on a cloudy day, yeah. 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 Um, and, and, and wind, unfortunately, you might have to set up with the wind in your face. I yep. mean, if, if, you have a good, if you have a good hide, but the wind's in your face and the sun is at your back, then I'll take it. You know, yeah. I've, shot, I've shot bands that way. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It's not ideal, you know, um, but it's certainly better than, you know, trying to, to, to battle looking into the sun. I mean, that's just, you're just never going to win that. Yeah that battle well and that that brings up something else too that like especially if you if you do have to hunt with the wind in your face um but this is when this is especially important but it's important any any time too as you were talking about the cover wanting it to be about the height of your blind or a little bit higher but you can also be burned if it's way too high or if you have a tree around you or something like that like you can't if you like if you're going to downwind birds and you're going to put your decoys out quite a ways and have them come and make that bank Right, o- right over your head or close where you can get a good look at them at that point on their low last pass, you can't have big trees around you or it's not going to happen. They're just not going to do it. So um, I think that's one thing. I've seen people make make that mistake, and that applies to just regular hunting, not just, not just band hunting too. True. 
what about um, crosswinds or what, where do you want the roost or you just basically will just take take what you can get. I mean, you got with with band hunting, you, you you pretty much have to take, you know, like I said, the um, the lighting number one into account. You got to get that that lighting so that you know you can you can you can get it at your back as much as as much as possible. Um, everything else is is really uh, secondary after yeah. after lighting but in a in a perfect world you know that being said in a perfect world you would have you know the wind at your back the the wind the roost at your face and you know the light the the sun at your back as well you'd see them coming the whole time they'd get nice and low you know yeah in about a 10 mile an hour wind and uh you'd have a killer hide yeah i would take i would take a sunny day um afternoon the sun behind me and then the wind you know directly at my back is pretty pretty dang good the best um but if it comes from the right that's pretty good too um and then the roost is just anywhere out in front is nicer than you know on the side but i gotta ask you about this like i i you're you're the best hunter i've ever hunted with as far as your ability to spot colors and and you you have the ability to watch larger groups um, than I think anyone else that that I know of. So, you know, where where my method is sort of to make sure I'm I'm watching only birds that I could shoot, and I'm pretty you know pretty much looking at one or two or maybe three at a time. I kind of feel like you're looking at six or eight at a time, but. Yeah. What what do you, would you admit to that, and what do you, how do you feel about that? Yeah, um, well, there has to be some sort of method to my madness because one of my my best hunting partners, um, you know, Kevin Pfeiffer, I can't tell you how many times it'll be, you know, maybe the the two of us, or you know, we'll be in a group and we'll both spot the same collar. You know, there's 500 geese working, and we'll spot the same bird at the same time. Mm-hmm. And so I think a lot of it is you have to anticipate when you'll be able to see the bird, mm-hmm. right? Cause if you have a big flock of, of birds come in, they start spiraling in, they're not all going to have their neck exposed to you at the same time. So you have to look into a window and you have to know, okay, I, I'm going to be able to see them when they hit this spot right? Yep. in the flock. And you just have to take in the whole picture and you have to, you're, you just have to take in the whole thing and then something is going to not look right. And then your eyes will just automatically be drawn to that. That's just, that's just kind of how it happens. You know, there's an anomaly in there somewhere. It, it doesn't fit. It doesn't fit the picture. And so you take in, you know, I don't know. I mean, you might be looking at 50 birds at one time flying through this window mm-hmm. and, and then your eyes just get drawn to it. And you're not right every time. I mean, God, it seems like you're wrong as as often as you're as you're right, especially recently because there's not you know there's not as many there's not as many as many bands around. Um, you know, right now it's been a been a few years since we've had a a banding study. Um, but um, yeah, I mean, when it, again, it really kind of depends on on what you're after. I. I've hunted a lot of, you know, cacklers and Aleutians and, and there tend to be, you know, many hundreds, if not thousands of birds that aren't marked for everyone that there is. So you're, you're scanning through, you're scanning through lots and lots and lots of birds and, Mm -hmm. you know, you're, you're not going to see them all. So if you're only picking up, you know, one in, I don't know, you know, one, one in five of them or one in two of them, even, you know, you're going to have to look through a lot of a lot of birds and you're going to have to catch them at just the right time. Yeah. Well, and I think it's important to watch, you know, a kind of approaching birds or if you're, if the birds are, um, you know, circling, you, you, you're watching the ones that are sort of approaching into your range, not the ones that are leaving your range. And I've, it sounds pretty obvious, but I have hunted with some people that, um, have had that problem where they're, they're, you know, on the far right hand side. And so they're watching the birds as they're circling and they're kind of watching them just as they're, as they're leaving their range. And then they tell me later, like, ah, oh, you know, I saw a collar, but by the time I saw it, I, I couldn't see it. And then I see that. And then the other, the other thing is, is I've, I've hunted with a lot of people where, you know, all of a sudden you'll hear them say like, Hey, I, Hey, I see a collar. And it's like, well, 
it's too late at that point. Like, and I tell them, you know, I don't want to hear you tell me, hey, I saw a color. I want to hear a boom. You know, I want to hear <laughs> yeah. you sitting up and, um, and shooting. And a lot of people have a hard time with that um, at the beginning. Um, being completely ready and just like reacting because you're, you're just not going to have enough time to say, hey, I see a collar um, and sit up and shoot it. Though I did shoot one myself that way where I was looking at a group of, <laughs> I was looking at a group of birds as they were coming in and then some I heard somebody say, hey, look at that bird's collar. And I look over and it's a bird flying right towards me and I'm like, well, okay. And I just sat up hey, and shot thanks. it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And that, I felt bad about that. Hey, one. it turns out it was collared. Look. Yeah. <laughs> yeah so, well yeah i remember one time i got an invite to go to go goose hunting and i had just shot a buck the night before and i was like well i don't know i gotta take care of this thing do i really want to get up early and stuff like that and i'm like you know what i'll go and um i just decided i just decided to go you know like what the heck it's you only you only live once just go for it um so took care of my buck, got up the next morning, and I could not find this place for anything. It's like super foggy, and I, I, I'd never been there before and stuff. They gave me directions. And I finally get there, um, and I get there as this group has got every single decoy already put out and the blinds put out and everything like that. And I felt, you know, I felt like a schmuck because I didn't help with any of that. And um, the first thing I see is they set up, it was a cornfield and they set up their, their blinds um, right near a bunch of standing corn. And I was like thinking, I don't know. I don't know if this is going to work. Um, and the guy, the guy had mentioned that he saw all the birds, you know, feeding right there the day before, but I was thinking, well, they probably didn't land there. You know, they probably landed a distance away and then fed towards the corn as they got more comfortable over time. Mm -hmm. So the first several flocks, like nothing would give us any love. And I finally kind of made the suggestion like, oh, you know, I think we should move our blinds and, get, you know, get out away from the standing corn. So they kind of reluctantly did that. And then birds started finishing pretty good and everything. And there, there was one guy that was, you know, kind of ramrodding the whole thing and calling the shot and everything like that. And at one point, a single bird went flying over the top of us pretty darn high and it definitely didn't have a bright yellow collar, but I I thought it was collared. I was just like, you know, there's just something there's something wrong with that. It was like it was too far to really see. But I was like, there's something on its neck. And and I've done the same thing like what you're talking about. I've shot birds that have just like a little tuft of feathers or, you know, or something that it turns out that it turns out it wasn't a collar. I've done that several times. Um <clears throat> but with this one I could just tell something was wrong, but it was so high and uh, I was a guest and, and it wasn't straight over me. It was kind of over the far left-hand side. We were in a pretty big group. And so I just yelled over to those guys. I said, you guys, I'm pretty sure that bird's collared. Somebody shoot it. Well, and instead of hearing the boom of a shotgun, what I heard was, no, we can see it really well. It's not collared. <coughs> and, uh, and that bird was flying away directly behind me. And I was just sitting there just so mad at myself. I'm like, Dave, you, you just need to sit up and shoot those. You know, you just need to uh, just be assertive and, you know, <laughs> like you can apologize later. But I'm like, well, I blew it. I totally blew it on that one. And I'm watching that bird and watching that bird. And there's a flock of like 500 heading towards us. And that bird circles around and he's going to come flying directly over the top of us. And he's coming from directly behind me. And... I just told myself I'm shooting him. Like I'm just gonna do it. And so I, as soon as as soon as he, um, I saw him over the bill of my cap. I sat up and shot. And I was, you know, I'm notorious for missing on the first shot because I get buck fever and everything like that. And then I get him on the second shot. Well, I'm lucky that I hit that bird on the on the first shot because the guy right next to me, he was kind of amped up now because he had heard me saying that that I thought it was collared. So he shot shortly after I did. And luckily I had hit it and it dropped. And the guy had, a, the guy had brought a dog and the, he was, you know, they were like, what in the hell did you just do? And what are you doing? And all this stuff or whatever. And I was like, at that point, I was really hoping it was collared because I knew that, you know, if it wasn't collared, I'd really, really have some explaining to do. And I'd already have some explaining to do. And I just remember the dog bringing that thing back and the, the collar is just, you know, blinging. 
And I could see a stainless steel leg band on one leg and a plastic tarsus band on the other leg. And it was like a 13 or 14-year-old collar that was just so worn it didn't have any color left. And it was one of the few in the valley that actually had a, a, you know, a tarsus band and a leg band and a collar. So I was pretty, I was pretty happy about that one. And my I name can't was even mud. tell you how many tens, or if not hundreds of thousands of cacklers I looked at over the years. And I saw one. One with a tarsus band, triple banded. Yeah, that's yeah. such a cool. That is a real, real rare bird for sure. That's that's awesome. I remember that that story. I felt pretty lucky, and also, I I don't think those guys were super thrilled about it, but you know they got over it. <laughs> we're, we're, you probably got over it pretty quick. I did. I did. I I dug deep, and I I got over it. So that's good. <laughs> Uh, we're we're all <clears throat> we're all still friends today. At Actually, I, on another hunt with that same guy, where we got invited to a place, I kill I killed a collar, and that was one where I I was kind of invited to go, but there wasn't really enough room for me to shoot. They were like, "Well, if you want to come, we have this awesome hunt lined up lined up, and you can film." And I'm like, "You know what? I'll do that. Like that sounds like fun." So I did film for a while until they, you know we're pretty much done with their limits. And finally they're like, ah, Dave, you're getting a blind and shoot and stuff. And I'm like, okay, great. And I saw a collar and I sat up and shot it. And that was, that was pretty fun. And then a little bit later, the guy that I had kind of sniped that 13 year old collar from another one, uh, one came in and landed and, you know, he, he wasn't really watching for him in the air, but he flushed it up and made a clean, clean shot on that. So we got two, two yellows in one day. That was pretty fun. Oh, sweet. So back to tactics, what else? What else would you say um, <clears throat> as far as, I think, you know, people are going to want to know about spotting them and preparing for the shot and being ready. I mean, what more would you say about being ready for the shot? I mean, well, so the ultimate, you know, I mean, in my, in my opinion, again, um, I'd rather shoot them out of the air. Um, I think you have a higher percentage um, in terms of being able to get a clean shot without other birds around them. And, um, you know, just, I, I don't know. I, I, I think that, um, shooting them out of the air isn't just the, the funnest way to do it, but it's, it's probably the most effective way mm-hmm. to, to do it as well. So, you know, uh, my first choice is to shoot them out of the air, but if you, if you're not able to spot a bird out of the air and you have them land, well, at that point, then you want to make sure that you know you're not moving around a ton um you're not sitting up super high and you're blind so that the the birds can look over you know at you because um typically what's going to happen is if they land if you can get them to land in your decoys um then you know for for the first i don't know minute or two they're going to kind of look around, you know, and, you know, they're, they're used to landing in, in groups of, of other geese, which are typically going to be, you know, pretty, pretty aggressive toward them when they first land. Right. Um, and, and so they're, they're probably going to be a little bit leery at, at first when they land. So they're going to kind of check things out. And, and as long as there's nothing, you know, they don't see a boogeyman. Um, a lot of times after a minute or two, if they're convinced that your decoys are other birds, then, then they'll get comfortable and, and they'll start moving around. And at that point, you know, you can start scanning the birds that are now in your decoys, whether you're looking for leg bands or collars, you know, e- either way. Um, okay. So now let's say, say you do, you do that. And all of a sudden you do spot a leg banded bird. Um, what are you what are you gonna do to get it? How are you gonna how are you gonna make a, a good clean shot or how are you gonna get that bird separated from all the others to make a good a, a lot of times you're just gonna have to be really patient. You know, I think um a lot of people who have tried it have learned the hard way that it's not as easy to get up and either try to swat a bird on the ground or flush them up and keep your eyes on them and, you know, pluck them out of the flock. So um, I've found that, that patience is, is your, you know, kind of your best friend. Okay. And then what um, are you, are you waiting for that bird to separate himself? Separate themselves. So there's <laughs> another, um, another tactic I'll share that just, just came to mind. That's actually worked for me, 
quite a few times in situations that felt like they were impossible where I had, you know, maybe, maybe I had thousands of birds on the decoys and there was one caller or one band, you know, um, oftentimes if you'll just keep your eyes on that bird and you'll wait until their head is up and none of the other birds heads are up mm -hmm. around it and you start to slowly move up out of your blind and you wait until you can tell that that bird's looking at you mm -hmm. and then you come jumping out of your blind it'll it'll flush above the rest he'll of the be, flock. he'll i've jump done up that above three or four different times and it's worked like a charm you yeah know? like like he he jumps up Five Six feet or, or seven feet above the rise, yeah. you know, yep. because once they all rise together, then it's, it's over. over. Yep. There's no chance. Yep. Well, there's one other thing that I've that I've done. I think you've done this too, and you know, it's 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 sort of like a desperation move, but it but it has worked, and that is um, <clears throat> when you're watching a flock, you just open your blind doors like extremely slow, um, so slow that you know it, it takes a minute to get your blind doors open or two minutes or whatever and then um and then you can you can rest you know rest your barrel um on the edge and keep it on that bird and just wait for wait for a moment when he's when he's completely by himself um i think i've done that one time with a blue collar i've heard of other people doing it <clears throat> it's probably not the greatest method or whatever but it it has worked mm-hmm feels like now would be a good time to call it quits for for uh, part two of, of the band hunting topic, and we'll pick up again another time for, for part three. Dave, what do you think about that? That sounds good, and we sure appreciate you guys listening. Yeah, we're, we are thankful for our listeners. Let us know, um, you know, what, what exactly is it that you, that you want to know? Any questions you've got? How are we doing? Let us know. Sounds good.